0: That naturopathic podcast, TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Dionisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it, and we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. All right, welcome to another podcast, another episode of that naturopathic podcast. And there's, uh, of course, there's me, Dr. Dave here. Uh, but I'm very, very excited. We have a, we have a new, a new guest today, and I, I think a possible co-host in the making. And it's Dr. Verna Hunt. And I can't tell you enough about Dr. Verna Hunt. She's naturopath, She's a chiropractor. She's a hands-on wizard. She's an elder of the profession. She's been there and done that about 10 times. And uh, one of the only things she hasn't done has been a podcast host, I think. And I'm so absolutely pumped to have you, Dr. Hunt, to be on the be on the podcast so thank you so much you want to just give yourself a little intro maybe for the for the people
1: yeah be glad to so I uh, grew up on a big dairy farm in southern Ontario and I went to Waterloo and did kinesiology and then was involved in the performing arts for a few years and then I decided to go to chiropractic college and that was a wonderful thing after my kinesiology degree. But then when I finished I wanted to know more, so I became a naturopath. That's the short version. And I've been in practice uh this year is my 42nd year as a chiropractor and 39 as a naturopathic doctor. And um I'm fortunate that I really love my work. I use a lot of modalities. Uh Listening is my best modality. And then touching Mm -hmm. is my second modality. Uh, And then I have many, many more. I like to solve problems. I love uh, body puzzles, human body puzzles. And I've treated people who are very marginalized and very famous and every age from newborns to 100-year-old people and uh, people who are very fit and people who are just uh, striving to survive and um so i like a real diversity sometimes um my colleagues uh, who who interview me ask me what my specialty is and i say human beings human <laughs> beings are my specialty i don't do animals very well because i'm a suck with animals
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: i want to be able to talk to my patients clients and um so I've, I've practiced in Toronto my whole career and um, at various locations. I'm on my fourth location in, in the junction near High Park in, in Toronto. And uh, people ask me when I'm going to retire and I say I don't have the memo yet. So I, I work three days a week with clients, but I have other projects like the Naturopathic Legacy Project, which is saving our elder knowledge for future generations. And... Um, and other things behind the scenes in the profession.
0: So and you teach too, right? You've, you've I done do teach. Of I have
1: a manual therapies course that I teach. And I've taught in the past um, breast health and how to use infrared digital thermography. I've taught a lot about women's health. I've taught a lot about um, uh, the lymph system, which is one of my passions. And... Um, And then I'm, you know, I can just, I like to be asked questions. So that's Mm -hmm. David's job, right, David?
0: Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Um, But we share a lot. We have have a lot in common. Like the first few things you were talking about were like humans as puzzles and -hmm. figuring that sort of stuff out. Like that's, that's just what, um, that's really what gets me going too. Um, But you've been in practice longer than I've been on this earth, which is, which is a crazy thing to think about as I'm in my 42nd year. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it, it's kind of crazy to me too. Like when I stop and think about it, I stop thinking about it basically because I'm just where I am in the moment. I mean, I certainly mm-hmm. have lots of memories. I certainly remember then when there were less than two dozen naturopaths in Ontario. Um, so times that's have crazy.
0: Changed. Yeah, yeah. But I got a couple of questions just to sort of ask you so people get to know a little bit more about your story with some specifics, maybe like what made you, uh, as a chiropractor, within a, was it within a couple of years of graduating, you decided, yeah. okay, I'm a chiropractor, i I got magic hands, and you're probably doing some pretty cool stuff then. What made you go, I need to know more and become a naturopath?
1: Well, it, it was partly political. At that time, the chiropractic um, licensing board in Ontario was thinking that chiropractors should only touch the spine and only with their hands, and the scope was going to be very limited. And I I wanted a really broad scope. So that's why I got a second um, uh, licensing. And um, uh, then as I did that degree, there were certain things I became more interested in. Um, And even as uh, far along as 20 years in, I got to study with a really amazing homeopath from France, Dr. Gerard Genot. And he changed homeopathy for me. he brought it into the twenty first century. He made it dynamic and understandable and um, that's something I hope to write about and teach more in the future because um, his knowledge is isn't being taught at least the way he mm. taught it so I'm really looking forward to that and the and the other um thing is i i then studied things like my abdominal massage where you can reposition the uterus from the outside and all that kind of thing and added it into a lot of belly work like um what's happening with the whole belly and now i would never see a patient without touching their belly it's that important mm-hmm. you know the, the first brain is in the belly there are more neurotransmitters in the gut than the brain mm-hmm. and so if your belly isn't happy you're not happy and um that's why you know you got to talk about pooping and all of that stuff uh because people have very little common knowledge of it yeah so um as soon as i finished my naturopathic degree then they wanted to delicense us that was a little irksome so then i became very 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 involved in um stopping that event from occurring and worked very hard at that till about 2000 or- 1995. And then I let other people take over. And then the new law was in uh, 2015. So that was a a long haul from 1982 to 2015. Mm -hmm. And uh, I learned a lot about politics uh, within the profession and in the country because um, we don't want to lose this knowledge. And now we're in uh, the midst of COVID. We don't quite know where we are because we're in our second lockdown. And who knows if we'll get to a fifth? Who knows what will happen. (laughs) But We we don't want to lose the very practical, applicable care and knowledge. Um, it's good to have sophisticated things and sophisticated testing. And if my leg's broken, take me to emerge, you know, all of that. But we need things that people can do day to day just to improve themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, we'll, and we'll, just for the listeners who are more like on the patient side of things, because this podcast sort of bridges hopefully uh, sort of practitioner and patient at times and so a lot of this is maybe really really relevant for the for the younger practitioners or just practitioners like me who who are always hungry for the wisdom of the elders and and there but we'll get to uh by the, just to keep the people who are more on the patient side of things we're going to talk about um a few important things by by the time we Uh, get to the end of the podcast, which is, did you sleep? Did you poop? Did you eat? Is that, is that the, not the right word? I I always
1: start with poop because it's the most startling. Did you poop? Did you eat? Did you sleep?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to that, uh, uh, by the end of the podcast or within a few minutes, uh, Uh for those who are looking from the more patient perspective. But from, uh, the the perspective of the hungry young practitioners looking for some wisdom, I want to ask you a couple other questions. Uh, and one is, what is the legacy project that you're uh, involved in? And um, probably more importantly, what, why are you doing it? And what, why does it need to be done?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, over the years, there have been some uh, amazing naturopaths, which uh, don't get talked about a lot in our, our history, I believe, from when I, when I talk to students and new practitioners. They don't know who John LaPlante is. They, they don't know who Nora Stewart is. They don't know some really significant people. So, um, one of our great colleagues, also a DCND in 2012 died suddenly, and that was Anton Ingard. And he was probably the most, best hands-on therapist I've ever met and seen. And he also, um, taught colon therapy, also taught iris analysis. He also is a great differential diagnosis people. Anyway, and he and I had often talked about how. So-and-so died, and they had this unique thing they knew how to do, and we've never filmed it or videoed it now or wrote it down. And so mm-hmm. when Anton died, um, I, I was asked by the OAND, uh, there was a legacy left in his name, not a big one, what we should do. And I said, collect elder knowledge,
0: mm-hmm. collect
1: this information. And, and, and for hands-on therapies, um, videos are great because, you know, you have to kind of see it and... Do it to yep. get the feel of it, and I know David, you've taken some of my classes, and it's it's you have to experience it. Um, uh, it's like tasting a banana, you know. If you didn't know what a banana was, and I said, "Do you want to eat a cold cooked potato that's fruity?" You'd go, uh, "No," <laughs> because a banana is a banana, right? Mm-hmm. So some of the things we do, like unblocking a station tube from the outside of the body, that's a really good skill to have. Airplanes, kids, sick, scuba diving—you know all those things. So um, we started a project called the the Naturopathic Legacy Project, where we're videoing um, elders uh, doing hands-on therapies. And sometimes the videos are short, and sometimes they're long. And we now are just getting to the point where um, people can go online and, for a small fee, watch the videos. And learn that way as well. I did a long one because they begged me to do it. it was a new patient intake exam. And I have a real MSK or, or, or chiropractic point of view. So people get touched. Um, I've had many young naturopaths say, I said, well, what do you do in your physical exam? And they say, well, I don't touch people. And that's mm-hmm. startling to me. It's the it It's is. the thing. And it's really an important thing because the t- the texture of the tissue, the vibration that you feel when you touch them all of these things are really important, and we can talk about those things other times but so i I started that project and and we had a larger committee, we have a smaller one, and we're on our own independent self now uh not with the o and d anymore because they thought we should move on which which we did and um uh so we we are um, mounting that the naturopathic legacy project uh, on online and it's available now. If People want to go and look at it. If they have any trouble with that, they can get in touch with me. So it's, it's just, you know, in 50 years, if your grandson, David wants to be a naturopath and wants to know how to unplug that eustachian tube, we'll have it on film.
0: Mm -hmm. It's so important.
1: It is so important.
0: Um, What, what was talk about, um, Talk about the 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 man who passed away was the inspiration for Legacy Project. What was his name again?
1: His name was um, Anton Ron Ronald Ingard I N G A R D. And he, he until he was fifty, he went by Ron Ingard. But he got to fifty, he thought, "I'm gonna I'm gonna use my other name." And he was of a Norwegian descent, like his grandfather was Norwegian. And he worked um, uh, in the more northern Ontario, and his last office was. Um, Oh, I forget how you say this name. Mm-mm-mm. Not as far as calling went, but that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call this COVID brain. I'm not, I'm not saying it's anything to do <laughs> with my aging. And, um, uh, he, he did a real, a lot for the profession. There were so few of us that we all did a lot for the profession, but he, um, you know, he would fly to Vancouver and teach when we had the, um, the program that was postdoc. So, if we were a DC or a dentist or whatever, they had two areas where they taught. So, he would fly, we'd, we'd go everywhere at our own expense. We'd fly and we'd teach for nothing. We'd mm-hmm. do all of that. Mm-hmm. And so, we could carry on the information. And, um, and so, that's kind of going by the wayside, that kind of generosity.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and, um, but it's really important that this information survive and thrives and, and, and spawns new, new ways of looking at things. We're not trying to stop it. We're trying to make sure the foundation is, is there and our principles are there. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, that's quite controversial lately through COVID because people have extremely different viewpoints within our profession. Uh, and, uh, they start, we're startling each other a bit, (laughs) but, um, But we need to keep talking. We need to keep communicating. Come to the table. Talk. Listen. We don't have to agree. We just need to listen to each other and find out how we come to where we are. I think that's very important.
0: Mm -hmm. and that's not just in the profession that's just in general like it is the the the, the, uh apprehension to have a different opinion or a different perspective is maybe a more precise way of looking at things because sometimes the wisdom of one thing i always say the wisdom of one thing does not preclude the wisdom of another way of looking at things and Mm -hmm. and uh the fact that that's even uh creates little factions in in the profession it's it's worrying but as long as everyone can do it safely in a psychologically safe zone it's good but what i find uh strange is that i don't know about antoine and right antoine. Uh, sorry anton i don't yes. i never heard about anton and and for me you're one of like you're the you're the hands-on naturopath to me and i always thought it was you know partially because you had this um get the kinesiology prior to that but also the chiropractic more so um so it gave you like so to me you're like the hands-on naturopath so for me to hear you say that anton was the the hands-on man that's uh that's saying something
1: yeah he was going to medical school and the summer before he was going he had a really bad injury on on a knee and he went to chiropractor and he got his knee back
0: Mm -hmm. he was
1: he was sold and he went to chiropractic college Mm-hmm. He graduated in 67, um, or went wow. a long time ago, and um, he had a few things that he did. He, he and I were both were both anatomy nerds, and he would visualize everything he would do in new anatomy, so he he could see it in very very three dimensionally, and so when he was adjusting, um, it it was complex complex in that he was adjusting about three things at the same time but he uh, had this ability and he was a sportsman. He was a cross country skier and a horse. He rode horses. And so he had that physicality that he uh, could introduce. Uh, How I brought physicality was more through dance, modern dance. Mm -hmm. I I did a lot of dance way back, way back, but that helps because you've lived in your body. You know, you're not just sitting there occupying it. So, um, Yeah. And he was involved in to make sure we weren't being deregulated. There was a very small group of us who invested a lot of time and money to make sure that we weren't deregulated uh, at that time. And so.
0: Okay. And we'll, we'll do a full episode, I think on touch at some point. Um, But maybe, could you just give a little, a little like teaser on on how important you think touch is in any sort of doctor patient relationship and, and your, uh, you know, concern about it remaining in, Uh, the profession as a whole, but also then with COVID and the push towards virtual everything. Yes. Can you maybe touch on those concepts a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, With time and just enough practice, so to speak, when you put your hands on something, you'll say, you won't even think the words in your head, but you will say, oh, this person kind of is clammy, you know, especially clammy hands and feet. And that's liver congestion, for example. Uh, It's not detoxifying itself well enough. And, uh, of course, the liver also holds emotions and, you know, anger, rage, bitterness, suppression, you know, those kinds of things. Um, So that's one, you know, what does the skin look like, feel like, touch like? I don't lick skin, but it almost comes to that. (laughs) and and if you're working with infants i've worked with a lot of infants failure to thrive and um you know parents being told the baby's dying and all these things and and i often wonder how many of those people that pronounce that actually touched the baby so can you feel the vitality in the tissue sometimes when you touch people it's like there's nobody home and that could be of any age it doesn't mean they're just old a lot of people think um elder people they have to die of something as opposed to just go on to the next chapter um whatever that means for that person i suppose not there yet but um uh so there's a lot that you can ascertain by touch. You can ascertain a lot of things about the lymph system and the drainage system. And just looking at skin, crepe papery skin, if you um just take your forearm on the non-hairy side and you just gently pinch it like a marshmallow, if you see babies with crepe papery skin, they're not getting enough oil, and if they're being breastfed, the mother is oil deficient. And, um and I don't mean grease per se. I mean, it could be any kind of oil, but you know, olive oil or fish uh, that you're eating or whatever, because the last three months of pregnancy, well, especially the last month, the baby's grain brain is growing at ultrasonic speed. And then if they breastfeed, which is hopeful, and the mother isn't eating enough oils, the body will pull off oil off the myelin sheath around the nerve and then the woman comes up with what we call baby brain she's kind of stupid and stunned and you know the baby's screaming oh is that the baby you know kind of thing and it's mm-hmm. that she's oil deficient uh in the in you know, a cellular level i mean you can eat oil but if you can't absorb it what's the use of that so that's another story but you can look a lot at babies and what's happening wonder what's happening to their brain by looking at their skin and touching it and and holding it and, and so on. Or, um, uh, people hold a lot of trauma in their body, kind of physical trauma. I fell off a cliff, sexual abuse, or, or being beaten. Um, uh, and you think, well, that doesn't happen. It happens to seven. It's happened to 70% of all adults. I never believed that till I was in practice.
0: Same. So, I couldn't you know. believe the the things I was hearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So how do you help people come back to their body? So there is touch, touch of a parent, touch of a of a spouse, I suppose, all those things. But when you have a therapeutic touch, I say to people, come to where my hand is. Um, and if it's too much, you just tell me to stop. I respond to stop really fast. And a two-year-old will test you on that. You give them the rules. And as soon as you touch them, they go, stop. And I stop and I wait. They say, okay, you can start again. They just mm-hmm. want to know that I, I really mean it because I want them to be in charge of the touch they're getting. And I say, people have to ask you if they can touch you. So I'm going to ask you every time. And if I don't ask them, they call me on it. Mm-hmm. Those two and three and four-year-olds remember everything like that. Mm-hmm. so so when you're having someone come into an area of trauma like a whiplash let's take lots of people get whiplash and then they say no no i'm fine and then they you know they got headaches and all the things that occur and you if you come in too hard too fast because you're going to fix it um, then you're probably causing more trauma if you're just brutalizing them and i and that can happen in, in chiropractic like we I can do the classical chiropractic thing, but there are times when, like I'm working on an 82-year-old woman now who got a whiplash when they were doing root canal on her a few months ago. And so am I twisting her neck? No, no, that's not Mm -hmm. happening. That's not happening. I'm trying to get her back into that place in her body just by touch
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so she'll meet the touch. And and we can do that for ourselves. We we uh, do that for ourselves if we're really upset, or if we have babies, or whatever. The touch is so important, and a lot of people don't get touched. Even well, can, yeah,
0: can you go into that because I I think that is like it's been it's been a gradual a gradual decline. I would say in medicine in general or all forms, other than maybe the manual therapists uh, who are well, that's all they they do. Uh, but in, in conventional sort of medical and naturopathic, what about yeah. the decline of touch? And then now we've got this COVID that like can you, yeah. without, without trash, you know, we got to be careful what we say, but, um, yeah.
1: you know, what do well, you think's you know, happened? You know, the remarkable thing to me to this day is, you know, kind of where I started from, I, I'm a good adjuster as a classical chiropractic way. But what I can tell you about examining somebody's belly now is, phen- is phenomenal to me. And every day I learn something new, observe something new. And, uh, and there's, you know, you know what this day, but there's adhesions and there's twists in the bowel. Like I think every internal specialist and people come in with belly problems, if they had a quality of skill besides x-rays, nothing wrong with that. Ultrasounds, nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But if they could touch it and say, Oh, last time this was better or worse. And, um, I do have clients come to me who have been to every gastrointestinal specialist in the city and they come in and we talk. And then I say, I want to feel your belly and I feel their belly and they're often near tears. And at first when this would happen, I would be like, Oh my God, what have I done? They said, Oh no, the other four doctors I went to never touched me. So how can you have somebody with a belly problem and not learn how to palpate that? But they don't, I'm not saying that people are bad people. Yeah. So
0: no, that's exactly why I went into the, so I, I did your course and I followed it up with doing the training in the Brawl Institute for osteopathy, which I, you, the, all the images you're saying, Vernon, and, the, and you, the way you say that uh, you ask the body to come to your hand, um, you work together with it, all the things you're saying, they sounds so similar to the ways that I try and work with, with the osteopathic approach. So you kind of ask, you ask the body to dance, you, you go to it and say, hey, would you like would you is it cool you want to you don't force anything you know and it's it's all the images that you're you're painting of touch are very very similar i think Mm -hmm. to the osteopathic approach it's very interesting
1: well one of the manual therapies courses i gave their one day courses is all about touch different kinds of touch when you would use them what part of your hand what part of your fingertip does what And it's not just unique to me. The very tip of the fingertip is more targeted energy. It's zingier in a certain way. And if the person's already in silent pain, sounds weird, right? And you touch it, it can bring it up really fast. So you have to be really careful and pull off really fast. Because if there's shock there, now they're in a little bit of shock. Mm -hmm. But then if you use the pad of your finger, it tells you about the texture of what's underneath it versus you've targeted an acupuncture point or something to poke. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and so it, there's all, you know, the, the palm of your hand, you can pump things uh, versus your fingers pumping. It's a different result. There's lots Mm -hmm. of different things. And, and that I think is, uh, you know, I kind of am at the stage of my life where I want to download the information (laughs) to people because this is really valuable to learn and to learn it just for even for yourself or your children or your siblings or whoever, it's very useful.
0: Yeah. I can say probably I'm 10 times the practitioner I was having uh, focused on anatomical structural understandings of tissues and organs and the like, no one gets out without getting a a belly exam. And it's literally like a 10 times, I feel uh, better as a practitioner, which, which is, which is nice, right? It's not just about me, but it just means our patients get, I think, more comprehensive, skilled care. And it's way easier to do the puzzles, right? Like Because you and I like puzzles. It's it's a big part of the puzzles. And uh, I think we focus a lot as naturopaths and me- medical doctors often, I guess, too, on the, what I call the micro perspective, which is like, you know, leaky gut and take this pharmaceutical and, and the, t- the cells and the neurotransmitters and all that. But we're less good at focusing on the big anatomical structures, which arguably I'd say with in the last couple of years, I'd just say they're easier to work with. Like you're talking about an organ. It's easier to understand an organ than a biomarker, right? Mm-hmm. I think I I would assume that you work more with like the liver rather than high sensitivity C-reactive protein as a guiding.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know what I that's mean? A, that's a good marker. Uh, because if it's high, uh, to quote somebody in a whole a different field, it means your house is on fire. I'm CRP? About, yeah. yeah. You know, you're walking mm. around living in this burning, smoldering fire thing. You're probably cranky. You're sore. You're irritable. And your body goes, I don't want to digest anything. This, everything, every surface, every surface is irritated and on fire. It's like smoldering. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I I do a lot of storytelling in my work because I I really want to get people's attention in a kind way, mm-hmm. but uh, you know I say to people if you eat three times a day you should poop three times a day and their eyes open I said if you ever looked after a baby you feed them they poop you feed them they
0: poop that's what <laughs> they do you feed them they poop right David yes, <laughs> yes. so. Well, maybe that's a good segue. Then maybe it's just let's maybe do the segue into like the the sort right. of funny. Did you poop? Did you? Yeah. Did you eat? Did you sleep? Can you yeah. maybe tell us uh, you know why we decided on? Well, we've we've already decided on a few topics that we're gonna sort of grossly mm-hmm. cover. Mm-hmm. One of them was this. It was one of the first things you brought up, and I, I imagine it's because you bring it up with a lot of your patients.
1: I do. This sort of do.
0: foundational stuff. Do. do you want to?
1: Yeah. Well back in the day when I remember Ronald Reagan was president and he, you know, he was a character kind of just beside himself. But, uh, but at the time, I don't know if Gorbachev was president of Russia. I just think, are these people constipated? What's going on? I can't think right. And I, I started saying this to everybody. If you po- eat three times a day, you should poop three times a day. And they go, well, I go once that's better than nuns is what I always say. But, but, Are you, why aren't you pooping? And uh, some people have never pooped quite right. They have those little rabbit turdy things, you know, coming out of them. Just little pellets. (laughs) I talk about shape, color, size, smell, all of that. We we get right into it. And um, I bring up the
0: Bristol stool chart.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Give them a little chart. And then I usually tell them how to just gently massage their belly, how to do castor oil packs and are they eating enough fiber? And they'll say, I don't like vegetables. And I'll say, well, then why don't you make um stew with vegetables in it and, you know, your buffalo meat or whatever your your passion is there. I go to Newfoundland a lot and it's moose meat. And it's great in a stew because they have root vegetables. That's what they can grow and mm-hmm. turnip and carrots and onions and potatoes and. Well, in white potatoes, there isn't much fiber, but in yams and all those, there's a lot of fiber. It's called soluble fiber. So it's sneaky. You know, applesauce is soluble fiber. And and for I've seen a few, maybe a half dozen people in my career are allergic to apples. So, of course, it doesn't apply to them. But soluble fiber in applesauce, no matter how sick you are, you can usually get a teaspoon of applesauce down, and that will start to collect all the toxins and usher it out. But applesauce is really gooey and no, not slimy, but it's easily movable. It's not like I'm saying chew on an apple and you can feed applesauce to a very young baby, you know, all of these things. And it just helps everything flow. And it, it collects so many times its weight and toxins. I forget the statistic now, but it's a lot. So you can go to a corner store. It might have sugar in it, but more and more, it's just applesauce. So when I worked with a lot of um, people who traveled a lot, like um, diplomats and rock stars and movie people, um, all of those things, I'd say if you're feeling oogie in your belly, just go and buy some applesauce. And now they have those little... uh, one serving things so you can carry them with you. I always have them in my office because some kids always want to know what you could ha- what they could have for a snack when they come to my office. Mm-hmm. So I give them a tongue depressor and a little applesauce container and off they go. Cause that's pretty cool. You know, tongue depressor and that's, that's mainly what I use tongue depressors for. And, um, um, so you you want this toxicity that's being collected and the debris and you want it to come out like before surgeries i say to people do not eat a heavy meal 3 days before we don't want stuff sitting in there because now you've been had general mm-hmm. anesthetic for example and um uh so th- there's a lot of things can help you poop beets if you like them beets can do that and um uh, just they can scare them. you
0: too. When you see them coming out. Yeah. Cause parents. they
1: look like red, dark red blood. <laughs> and I have people phone me. I'm bleeding. I said, did you eat beats? Yeah. I said, beats. <laughs> even though you tell them they, you know, people can't remember when they're startled, what, whatever it was you told them. I'm, I'm like that. Most of us are like that. So we want th- this debris coming out and not sitting up there in there forming unions with other things. And you don't want, um, and Jorna, you're pretty,
0: are you pretty like uh, you're pretty solid on your three times a day? Because if you look up conventional definitions, right, we can always have fun with conventional definitions. Sometimes they're the, the bar of excellence is pretty low on them, but like, I think constipation is three times a week or something or more yeah. and you're not constipated. So you're saying yeah. basically 21 times uh, <laughs> a week is sort of optimal.
1: Well, it's not a competition, but if you th- <laughs> if you think about it, <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, you have a baby in your life now, don't you?
0: No, we got we got a baby on the way.
1: Baby on the way. I made him sick. Yeah. But you're gonna find out if you feed them, then they'll poop quite quickly because <laughs> you've stimulated the digestive tract, and everybody's cooperating, and out it'll come in in the strangest ways. And babies, it's like every kind of color you get really excited. Oh, wow, this is green poop. Are they dying? You know, no, they're not dying. So there's all of those things, but, but you do. But yeah. You stuff's
0: won't. coming in. So stuff should come out. Like yeah. you said, there's some coordination yeah. and, and some intelligence yeah. going on yeah. there.
1: But you know, will you poop if a, if a grizzly bear is chasing you? So how many people who are quote constipated or slow there, how do they engage their life? Are they at full out run in Toronto? They are or work. You know, like if, if there's a lot of things I say, you know, if you're in danger and you don't even realize it, but your boss is in the next room and, you know, he's talking to the head of HR about you are like whatever it is, or you're getting bullied in the schoolyard and you're 10 or 12 years old, like whatever. Are mm-hmm. you going to go poo when there's a bully following you to the bathroom? Probably not. You mm-hmm. know, there's all of these things. So we have to have a time when we can sit on the toilet. And, um, have something under our feet. Like if, if you put, um, a five to 10 year old on a toilet, but their feet don't touch the floor. Um, and they're feeling like a tippy canoe. Uh, mm-hmm. are they going to let go? Uh, no. Or if it's the kind of family where everybody gets to come in while you're trying to poo, somebody's in the shower, somebody's I'm from five kids. Somebody's in the shower. somebody's Right. So, so, There's this grizzly bear analogy I use a lot where, you know, people say I can't get pregnant, but the woman's in a really stressful job and um, her idea of relaxing is a three-hour sleep every night. Like, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I say, what makes you think your body wants to make a baby? Well, you're running away from grizzly bear all the time. Makes no sense. Yeah. And so their adrenals are tired and all that kind of thing. And kids, you know, if you ask um, a child, probably I've had a four-year-old answer this question. What's stressing you? So one child decades ago said to me, she says, well, you, you know, I'm four years old. I said, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. And she said, I um, I'm I go to school. I'm in, um, in JK. I said, yeah. She said, I have homework every night. She said, I'm just a little kid. I should be playing. I said, you're right. I looked at her mother. She said, we're moving schools. Like she was stressed, but she didn't use that word. Um, Mm. but you know, that's a big thing about pooping. Are we jumping out of bed? We take two minutes, brush our teeth, have a coffee. Who is, there's, there's no time for pooping in there, you know, and, and squatting. The best way to poop is to squat. And, um, if you have a stool, there's a thing called a pooping stool, isn't there, that kind of hugs around your toilet? Squatty potty. Squatty potty. Brilliant,
0: brilliant marketing uh, done several years ago. It's really, yeah. really funny. Squatty potty. Yeah.
1: Well, and you can just get a little step stool and have it there. Yeah. So that that people's um, lower orifices will <laughs> relax and open.
0: Because of the structural uh, changes, right? For an-
1: right. Because it goes from a an oblong to a round circle. That's why it's better for women to deliver more in a squatting, like supported squatting, like because they have a, a circle instead of this oval thing and people, babies do come out with an oval head and it's because <laughs> they've come out through an oval opening. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so where, why aren't you pooping? Is it not enough fiber? Is it not enough quietude in the moment? And some people, are, uh, well, maybe introverted, but they're very self-conscious about bodily function things. And um, there could be reasons for that. Once I had a little boy come in and he was two-ish. And um, once they got him in diapers, he, w- he, he would go over in the corner and kind of lean weird. And that's one of my first belly things I ever did. And what happened was there was a slight twist in his bowel and the sigmoid fracture. When I fixed that, he would just, poop normally yep. but he couldn't get the poop out and that's why belly thing is so important yeah In that's right so am i firm on the three-a-day no i eat food twice a day that's the way i happen to eat right now i yep. can have little protein drinks but but um I find, and other people, they they get the urge to poop when they're starting to relax. As Soon as they go in their own door at home, they have to go poop first, mm-hmm. right? But if you're in the middle of the your doctoral presentation, probably not. Mm-hmm. That's the grizzly bear thing.
0: Yeah, it makes sense when you look to sort of nature for the wisdom there. What I just want you, I want to move on from pooping. Well, I don't really, because that's my I love <laughs> that. But let's go on. I, I do want to move on to just another section of pooping, which is what about people pooping too much? Because it is more common, I guess, to see constipation. But what about what, when you see someone who poops too much, then then what are you thinking? Because we, we don't want to leave them out.
1: No, we don't want to leave them out because that's a very high anxiety state because you never know when you're going to poop. So why is the gut lining uh, so irritated that it can't reabsorb water? What's happening to the to the little in, internal skin there for people who aren't doctors? They're called villi, like little fingers. But what's happening to the cell lining? They, call, they can call it leaky gut, but what's happening to the integrity of the gut? And how do you begin to rebuild that? And are they um, sensitive to a food? For example, cow milk is made for big, bony, rather stupid animals. I know, I grew up with them. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, now Holstein milk, that's the black and white cows, is more like that. Now, Guernseys and Jersey's are closer to human milk and people react less to that. And there's a specialty happening now within the industry, the dairy industry, so that people can get just that milk. But the protein is different because human milk is very fatty because we have to grow our intelligent super brains and all our nervous system. We're a really nervous system animal. Uh, cows not so much uh so so they have their place but and i'm not denigrating uh Holstein cows but um uh there you know goat milk is closer to human belt now when you think of the intelligence of a goat and a cow goat probably wins because it's more a neuro- neurological animal and um uh so there's there's what's going on in the gut um uh, there 's a, a totally huge neurological component for crohns and i b s and all of this stuff and one one greater load on all of that right now is electromagnetic frequency pollution five g and all the stuff that 's happening uh because the nervous system really gets a little fried with all of that and and there is lots of data out there it seems um the solutions aren't totally available, but we'll we'll find them. We'll find them because we have to because it's really affecting people. There's more IBS and more uh, children um, who have the tablets very young or are in a school where everybody has their own computer. And yeah, these
0: are an unpopular and inconvenient truths. I think. Yes. That, yes. That yes. that's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: more suicides in eight to ten year olds.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of the, I I wonder about that and resil just uh, resilience. And we actually, had a, um, I don't know uh, if you know Jen Forrestal, but we had her on a, a previous podcast. She's amazing about teaching um, the umbrella project and teaching kids how to have an umbrella when it rains because, um, you know, stuff's gonna stuff's gonna happen in life. It's not great. Yeah. So I'd I'd refer back any listeners to, um, what Verna's touching on there is I think, possibly an aspect of it is resilience in in kids and. Um, yeah, that was a, you, you'd love that one, Vera. She, she did a great job. She's trying to teach kids how to have the resilience to deal with adversity and, and things like that. So
1: yes, yes, yes. So uh, so yes, the diarrhea and so there's fruit, there's neurological. It can be a low back problem. That's where the nerves come from. That I once met a man. He was constipated, constipated all the time. I adjusted his low back. He's never constipated again. Yeah, that's kind of one in a million story, but it can happen.
0: No, I, I've I've seen though I've seen people come for um, for something else for gut issues, but then I in my intake I'm like, how about a little back pain or back pain? They're like, yeah, brutal back pain. Then I uh, I adjust their uh, the the mesentery, uh, uh, the root of the mesentery, the small intestine. They're like, Oh, back's good. So, so yeah, it's yeah. A funny you can sort both of ways. finding. Yeah, go
1: both ways. Yeah, when people wake up at 5 a.m. every morning with back pain, that's a uh, clogged the calya in the lymph system usually. So you can get that moment moving. You
0: You said some words that people aren't going to know there, Verna.
1: Yeah. It's the drainage system of Mm -hmm. your low body, lower body.
0: You, you smartened me up to the cisterna kylake. So, so thanks for that. (laughs) Um, The sewer. We'll talk about, are you swampy another time? Yeah. Um, But let's move on from pooping. Yes. What's the next thing?
1: Well, uh, we kind of talked about eating a bit so we could go there. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, when we have a newborn, they are grazing animals, and they eat, poop, and sleep, eat, poop, and sleep, and that cycle has different rhythms, but uh, that happens a lot in one day, and you know, you're glad you have an automatic washer, right? <laughs> but as they get older, there's, when, you're, when we're digesting, the body likes to focus on that. And then we can, uh, then go on and do, uh, skipping or algebra or whatever it is we're doing. But in many countries, um, they have a siesta after lunch, for example, uh, so they can digest their food. And on the farm, we didn't call it a siesta, but, but since we were up at five or six o'clock in the morning and you had your breakfast and then you worked and you had your lunch, you just want a little time to digest mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So, if you're eating a huge meal at one m- lunch and then you think you're going to do brain surgery, I, I think that wouldn't probably be a good idea because your, your brain is in your belly at that time. So what I'm trying to get to is some people graze all the time and every hour they eat and they take it. <laughs> it's not <clears throat> ideal. I don't think. Mm-hmm. And then what you're eating, um, Some people, we've been taught in our culture in the last 200 years, we eat grains for breakfast. And um, they weren't as genetically modified. No, they're very genetically modified in general. But are they digestible? And and can you allow in a family, when the kid who eats oatmeal um, either has a tantrum or um, has diarrhea or whatever, can we be observant to that and thinking that doesn't agree with that person, that oatmeal. Now I pick oatmeal because it's kind of a ubiquitous food in Western culture. You know, it's like around, but it's not for everybody. And I've seen people who can't eat salmon. That was a mystery to me or apples. That was a mystery to me, but they live in that body. I don't live in that body. And if they say, every time I eat salmon, I barf my guts out. I think good to know, listen to that. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't know why necessarily, but you have to respect that. So what does your, what does, what can you teach with children as they go along and, and give them time to chew and demonstrate it yourself that you chew your food, you chew your quarter apple, you, you chew the celery, you, you know, and even if it's a liquidy thing, you chew the vegetables and the soup and the meat in the soup. So, um, the best way to um, harness that ability is um, you take a bite of food and you put your fork down. And when that food is out of your mouth, you pick your fork that's up. Oh,
0: that's an interesting tip. I'm going to try it.
1: That's what I tried. i never tried. thought of
0: that. That's a great idea.
1: It's just a mindfulness thing.
0: Yeah, you're setting yourself up for success. I love little tricks like that. That's good.
1: Yeah. Vernon,
0: yeah. um, what do you do when you have someone, uh, like a patient or or if it's just someone out there who's got something similar, what would you tell them when they have these sensitivities to so many foods and they become so restrictive and restricted in what they can do? They, I just got like, they don't have much um, sort of like nutritional or dietary flexibility.
1: Right. Well, often there's something else going on in another aspect of their physicality or consciousness. And, um, I would say, okay, you've got these six foods could be as little six foods that you can eat. And while you're eating, I want you just to be with it and enjoy it and chew it and, and not, and try to say, I'm, this is going to really help my body. Now, if you know that when you drink milk, you're going to barf for four hours, honor that, Mm -hmm. but let's take where you are now. We can give people a lot of projects to do. Go and do this, go and do that, but sometimes when in that situation they're they're probably very neurologically stressed. How can we honor what they can do versus what they can't do? Mm-hmm. like what's wrong with them? Well, let's see what's right what's 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 right, and sometimes we don't tell each other and ourselves what is a good thing about, um, that I do when I'm, I'm eating well, when I can afford it, I try and buy something organic that I can eat. Wonderful. Like, and, and how do you, how do you cook it and do you enjoy cooking? But a lot of people now don't know how to cook and they think they don't like cooking. And it could be that they don't, they, they weren't mentored. You didn't weren't beside your grandma and cooking that doesn't happen so much anymore. Uh, but what what can you do um, to teach people to make soup? I teach a lot of people to make soup from leftovers, uh, and and how you get the flavor you want and the texture you want. And and people say they pay you for yet? Yeah, because now they have a skill, yeah they have skill, and um, uh, you know things they can do to to just make things taste better in their mouth or feel better in their mouth. So what I try and do is look at the foods, the six foods they can eat. And if they have something in common uh, or if the 20 things they can't eat have something in common and try and map out what's happening and, and then introduce them to a new food that is convenient. Like take avocado. Avocado is one third carb, one third protein, one third oil. It's the only food like that that I know of. And um, someone very young, a year and a half old, can eat avocado. Mm-hmm. You know, and someone very elderly whose teeth aren't working, like whatever. Mm-hmm. It goes across the ages. Now, I've met people who hate avocado. It's a texture thing. And that's a whole other th- food thing. Yeah. Yeah. So so what's happening to their tactile? This, the tongue is part of the brain. What's going on there? And that's to do with the limbic system and midbrain. And they might need cranial work. There's a lot of ways to approach it. So Mm -hmm. I kind of didn't exactly answer your question, but
0: no, it's it's all food. This is like this is important food stuff because there's so many protocols and like crazy diets and all this stuff. And as you you know, even at my stage of practice, I'm already going okay, just throw them all out. Like you still there's wisdom, I'm sure, in a little bit of all of them, but like just following strictly adhering some crazy diet from a biohacker, it's so yeah, it's it's so regimented. But that's that's kind of the way like Formula a. As a whole. It's form- yeah,
1: formulaic exactly it's formulaic well you know in our culture we like things commoditized and formulaic and you see that in our profession uh you know okay this is a 25 year old woman who's infertile and uh these are the supplements she exactly needs yeah i i don't follow that i want to know what's happening in the research but um uh i, I have a, a sibling who when i was first in practice um, I, there's a way I test supplements away and she'd say, I can take all these supplements, but when I get this one near my mouth, I back up from it. I won't mm. put it in my mouth. And I think, Oh, this I'm 25. What do I know? I, <laughs> I, and I thought, Oh, this is ridiculous. Don't be so ridiculous. And I test her again. And she was right. She didn't like mm-hmm. it. I have patients that you can give them certain supplements for a short time. And then you have to go off. You have to do this all, all rotation thing. Everything's individual, because Everything, mm-hmm. we're all, all individuals.
0: And, and I, so I'm just going to pump up your tires a bit here. Like that, I, I think, not that you need it, but whatever. It, it, it's easier to be like that. And so while I'm pumping up your tires, I'm also extending a, an understanding sort of uh, sympathy or empathy to newer practitioners, because it's, it's hard to be good at this job. And you're very good at this job and you've been doing it for a long time. And I think you've got some God given stuff and you worked hard, but it's hard to be, it's easier to be formulaic, right? It's an energy requiring uh, process to be not formulaic and to be very individualized as much as you can, but it's, it's hard. And so like if there's young naturopaths listening or if there's people going, why do different naturopaths do different things? Well, this is why.
1: So when I started, I, you know I had my kinesiology and chiropractic and I studied applied kinesiology, and then I hit reality and practice. And I very quickly learned to ask myself questions. What's going on here? It seems like an obvious question. But it's kind of on an energetic level. Like when you think of this person and you've done their intake and everything, what what words would you use to describe them? Are they rigid? Are they stubborn? Or do they not seem to have any boundaries and no discernment about who their friends are? Like, seeming like just well, that's not to do with their bowel. But you know, boundaries are a really important thing. If we didn't have skin, we just ooze all ooze out and die. You know, like, mm. and I talk about boundaries to people that way. Skin is a boundary; it's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so, if they have um, leaky gut, leaky brain, leaky everything, and their skin looks like crap, they, there's a boundary issue. It's kind of a metaphysical comment, but. So what what makes good boundaries resilient? Not too hard, not too soft. You need to have good oils, good protein. And you can go on and on. Vitamin A, zinc, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. So those are good things to think about. To think about a, a bound a, a gut line formula, all these things. So you you have to think in a in a critical like critical thinking about that person. Mm-hmm. And some people come in and they're smoking and drinking and doing everything. They say, I want to go on a cleanse. I go, do you? Really? Are you constipated? Oh, yeah, but I want to go on a cleanse. I say, you're not healthy enough to go on a cleanse. And and then I explain to them why. Mm -hmm. So our work is all about cleanse and build, cleanse and build, cleanse and build. That's what we're doing, and the body will do the rest. Do I know how to grow your skin cells? No. I say to people, they say, sometimes say I'm a healer. I said, let's be clear, I'm not a healer. I said, your your toenails and hair look much better than if I was in charge of them. You look ridiculous. Look at me, can't keep my own hair combed. I said, you know, th- th- there's your body knows how to make babies. It knows how to heal a bone. I don't. Yeah know actually how to heal a bone so what is the essence of this person okay they're in crisis they come in something's pushed okay accompany them dr Gurney used to say accompany them on their journey of the crisis help the crisis what's the urgent part of it and some people it's just that they have acne nothing wrong with being upset if you're a teenager and you have acne but that's a different issue than if you know they're their poo's coming out of them 24 7 and mm-hmm. and they're wasting away but what what are you dealing with how do you accompany them how do you give them the emergency or urgent things to survive and then how do you begin to build in resiliency and i think a lot of us would agree that if your gut biome's shot you got to start there yeah like if your gut isn't happy nothing else is working yeah so you have to have these ways of thinking about it um and, and so that's why I think it would be important on shows like this or on the legacy project. If we have different elders, you know, the second Wednesday of every month, we just come on, people come on and ask questions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I really thrive with like, I just like questions and then I just start talking, you know, but, but I think that you have to really think about the essence of the person and what's happening and is that their true self are they just um surviving because they were you know horribly abused as a child and so they have a defense compensated pattern that looks like who they are but it isn't who they are and and then mm-hmm. year, years later they're ready to do that work not because they were stubborn, but they just didn't have the resilience to even approach the trauma that was embedded. So you have to help them along the way. You you're you're accompanying them on their journey. I mean, I have a I have one client I've had since I was an intern at chiropractic college in 1978. You know, I have patients usually for a long time or a short time doesn't matter to me. Or people come back after 10 years and they say, "I'm ready to do the work now." I say, "Great, mm-hmm. let's, let's get going." I don't have opinion about that. I don't live their life. Oh.
0: But Vernon, wouldn't you say it's some of the things that you're uh, sprinkling into what you're saying here are, are difficult to teach in terms of like a classroom setting. And uh, I feel like some of it, and, and this is where mentoring and legacy project and stuff like that becomes very important, um, or or at least I think it could be a critical step towards success even for uh, not only for naturopaths, but their patients too, because some of this is just life like life wisdom lessons, like, um, that you just can't really learn in school. So like, do you think some of it comes from just life lessons or like, cause some of the stuff is your ability to perceive the person. Like you're saying this person has low, you know, uh, maybe boundaries are a little too much or, or the boundaries are a little too permeable. Like that's a kind of understanding of viewing a person in a different way than you're going to learn in, like, uh, you know, Physiology 201.
1: Exactly. So I one idea about that is I always think, as a practitioner, I cannot take anybody down a road I kind of haven't gone myself. Like, I, I don't think I have to do the exact same road, but I work, I work on my own health all the time. And I got into this, and when I was 18, I had mono for three years. That was boring. I thought this is screwy what's going on here you know and um so that's that's uh one thing and the other thing is um uh asking yourself questions and asking the patient questions questions are the most important thing having a snap answer what's leaky gut sure go ahead and treat that but ask the ask the questions about what's going on and that's one thing that I've honed over the years is how to not be uh, like um what do you call that interrogating them that's not useful yeah. but how how you asking people what is it what are the greatest stresses in your life right now you will get the answers you never it. it's a really yeah. open question it's a really open question and, and there's sometimes, not much
0: space for it in average day to day for a lot of people too right like right. I, sometimes so, i feel like that you know i'm like ready to do my gut thing like i'm a i'm a yeah. gut whisperer i'm gonna fix that yeah and then half the time not half the time but a, a good proportion of the time someone just needed a place to come and say well everything's feeling a bit shit right now and and this, you know, my, my wife is this, or my husband is this, and and you just listen, and you have a place. That's right. A place listening, for listening.
1: Listening is your first skill. Questions are your second skill. Mm-hmm. And um. And it's just active listening, or or commenting they'll say something. I say, well, that must be really hard. I mean, just acknowledging that you heard them yeah. that, so that they know that you've got it. And I've had people with, um, many, uh, races, religions, you know, ethnicity, uh, gender identity. Like I've had it all. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've been on a real learning curve sometimes because I didn't have that life experience. And, and, um, uh, but I, I sought out answers to things that if I didn't know, uh, in this religion, they do this at this time of year for this and that and this, and, uh, and, and to not give them a food restricted diet, you know, their mm-hmm. ritual practice is as important as what they're eating, you know, yep. whatever. So questions and listening, listening is, is, um, and if I don't understand an answer, I said, so what I heard you say is this, but could you tell me that in a, in a different way or could you repeat it?
0: Because yeah, I want to hear the good technique. Yeah.
1: I want to hear the energy in their voice or their cry. Mm-hmm. I've had a client who who is now passed, but he had, was born blind, cerebral palsy lots you know, of things. And he was always getting pneumonia and and so his mother would call me from the hospital and I said, just set the phone down and I'd, I'd listen to him cry. And over time I learned He had different cries. That child taught me so much. I would Uh, just listen to him for half an hour.
0: mm -hmm.
1: You know, I'd be sitting around and just listening to him. I said, I think you should try this. Why? I had no idea why. It was just just listening to him. Mm -hmm. And he knew who I was because when I saw him physically, I would always just very gently touch his cheek. And then he knew (laughs) it was me. I had a way of signaling him it was me. Because nobody else touched him that specific way, and he knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so th- things aren't connecting. Quite-
0: those are all connecting. If yes. you sort of grossly, grossly group them into something, you're just connecting with another yeah. human yeah. being.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah. You. yeah. I see you. Exactly. Yeah. And and I have toys in my office for children mm-hmm. because you're an idiot if you don't. If you think you're going to have pediatric plastic practice. I have one little toy thing that I've had ever since I've been in practice. I should have bought ten thousand of them because they never break. But you know,
0: tell me I what st- to buy. I'm an idiot.
1: Okay, I will show <laughs> you. Next and and stickers are very important.
0: We got we've got stickers. Stickers are great.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> I hand them out, or they get to pick. And um and sometimes when the adults are having a really hard time, and at the end I said you think you need a sticker? And they go, yeah.
0: I give them to all ages
1: or I stick them on their lapel, you know? So, um, so we got that one was... more
0: category when you're done, we got one more category to move yeah. on to
1: okay. because, because
0: Verna, we have, we got, we could go on. I
1: know you and I could talk forever. Couldn't we? we could.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now we'll get to the sleepiest part.
1: Sleep hygiene, they call it. Sleep hygiene, which isn't mean like you scrub your skin hard and go to bed. The biggest sleep hygiene I'm concerned about is uh, EMFs, electromagnetic sensitivity. The greatest polluter in your house of that is uh, cordless phones. Get them out of your life. Get them out of the house.
0: A cordless phone or a cellular?
1: No, cordless.
0: Really? Yes. Ooh.
1: yeah yeah then there's the blue light i have some new just reading glasses i'll show them off here they're red that have a blue light filter in them so i've been on the computer more like times like this yeah um uh i was just at the conference the worldwide conference online of course of of um five with your blue light
0: glasses on
1: yes (laughs) uh uh i have a special pair for them and special pair for here. um and um that was really enlightening there's um I don't know if you have a, a website for this bloggy thing we're doing, podcast thing we're doing, but there are certain handouts that I, we can share about, you know, what are the s- seven steps you can do inside your house and around your life just to change your EMF exposure? Because it's very critical. We're being exposed to things that we you have. A, you have a handout? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Okay, we'll put on, it
0: we'll put it on uh if you have if you have a link to it, what we'll do is we'll get uh, Janessa to put it in the in the notes and people can can go yeah, and, and download yeah. that. That'd it's from
1: great. Bi- Building Biologics. They're a group and they just want to hand it out to everybody.
0: Okay. We'll okay, so
1: sleeping in a darkened room. Make sure the room is as dark as it can be in the city. It's very difficult, but I have blockout blinds, that's a really important thing. Try and have a bed that doesn't have metal in it. So you have, you know, there's
0: one... What's that all about?
1: Like, well, electromagnetic stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a great place uh, that makes... Uh, should I say this? Uh, knock off uh, memory foam. It's called uh, Foamite. And they custom make them. And um, they don't have... Um, they're they're not expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're great. But they're, you know... Sleep on a bed that's... Um, to your liking so your spine isn't sagging you want your spine kind of in a straight line and um sleep to the north if you can with your head to the north what's sleep. that all about electromagnetic energy of the earth do you yeah
0: so in a northwest uh direction or do you mean your head has to be towards the north
1: head towards the north
0: ish i got it as backwards yeah Okay. Well, if you
1: were in Chile, it would probably be good. Then you're in a different uh, polar, the polar thing. Um, uh, sleep to the north. Good, good bedding, which doesn't mean expensive. It, it's it's just like don't. I I find it impossible to sleep in polyester because you get this clammy sweat thing happening. I do anyway. Um, try and have that and change the bedding and. Um, You know, now they're making babies onesies, you know, those little one jumper suit things that have electronics in them. So you'll know when your baby peed their pants with EMFs in them all the time. This is not good. Yeah. Yeah. uh, What else do I have written down? Yeah. How much EMF is coming into the bedroom? So no phones in the bedroom, no TV in the bedroom, everything on
0: airplane mode.
1: You can and you need to turn the Wi-Fi off in your house every night when you go to bed. Okay. I I, I start doing that, but now I'm getting my phone out of the room completely, so there's nothing pinging at me. It doesn't get to you, but if with the airplane mode, but it's still searching, searching, searching. Right.
0: Vernon, what's the most what's the most uh, reliable or because this is all, uh, you know, it's it's classic humans with toys and humans with uh technologies that we sort of do first and then like think later about the yeah, consequences yeah. of what we've done so what is because it's sort of a burgeoning sort of area yeah. well, what is the most uh, reliable sort of evidence that we have of a particular set of issues that's going on yeah, there's the a DMF? lot
1: from that conference um there's a lot of evidence now um
0: But if there's something you could say you can really hang your hat on, there's a real, there's definitely a a real correlation in in this area. What what do you think that would be?
1: Uh, Don't tell me it just affects
0: humans because you treat humans.
1: Yeah. Neurological. (laughs) Neurological things. ADHD, suicide. Uh, gaming addiction to gaming where the dopamine is just the um, amygdala in the brains being so revved up so long. And then those people that are that addicted, they do that. They hardly sleep. They wear adult diapers so they don't have to go to the bathroom. They can just keep gaming, 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 gaming. It's it's the most serious addiction beyond cocaine. Wow.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. And that's going on. Who knew? Who knew? Mm -hmm. Um, So, there's a psychologist psychologist in the States, really nice guy, probably your age. And he, he's got a, a detox center for gamers.
0: Wow. It's 10
1: weeks. He says. it's
0: gotten to that point.
1: Yeah. 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 Wow. So, so we want a clean, healthy, uh, bedroom and, um, uh, dark. Cause then we get more melatonin and that does lots of great things for you. And, um, and, and just sleeping
0: in sex, right? In the in the bedroom, yeah, sleeping in sex, sex, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 Was cool. You said cool. Did you say cool bedroom?
1: I didn't. But um, I think most people prefer, prefer a cooler bedroom than a yeah. hot bedroom. Um, uh, so that, you know, uh, you're not. Um, so you feel kind of more. Uh, what's that? Swaddled. <laughs> like you feel. Nice. Like yeah. You're, In a comfy place, nesting, all of that, you know, uh, that kind of thing. But we we could talk about that for hours, but we're probably done, aren't we? Are we done? Time. You had a time. I'm watching the time.
0: Verna, I'm just going to pause for a moment.
1: Okay. In addition to the things I've already said about sleep, if you can get in the habit of doing this, it might help you sleep more restfully. It's just review your day and see if there's anything bugging you about your day. You might not even realize it. Uh, and you can think, well, I'm really glad that happened. That happened. And you know, when I found out my shirt was on backwards, I wish somebody had told me, so I'm going to check in the mirror every morning now and whatever it is. And, um, other people have other uh, things they might do related to their spirituality. That'd be great. Um, and to, uh, Um, help children, mentor children in doing this. If you haven't had a chance to ask them how their day was, you know, what was the best part? Was there anything that was hard, difficult? And, um, even if you don't have a solution, you don't want to make yourself crazy and think all night. But, um, I have a habit of putting things in an imaginary brown paper bag and folding it down and putting the problem in there. And then when I get up in the morning, I unroll it and problem's gone. So, so yeah. that's one of my little habits. Um, but it isn't always gone to be honest, but 80% of the time it's gone. And, um, uh,
0: More questions, eh, Verna? Just asking questions, like, hey, how was my day? Yeah.
1: yeah. Questions
0: come in again, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's the other thing I would do, and to uh, try and get to sleep before midnight, because in the circadian rhythm it really helps, and um, give yourself enough time in the morning. That means you might have to go to bed earlier. It's hard to do, but, you know, don't have to be like a shot out of a cannon, to just mm-hmm. get out the door, um, mm-hmm. so you can have a little time to to uh be with yourself or your family before you
0: it's not like a great energy to start the day. I find just sort of getting up a little bit earlier than you absolutely have to it just changes the changes the buzz in the morning kind of right it does it mm-hmm. does,
1: so I hope this has been helpful for everybody and if you have questions, let David know or me, but you could let David know and um we can talk about anything
0: we yeah we'll try and this. bring we'll try and bring questions that people have if there's engagement on the instagram or something we'll we'll bring the questions to you cuz you're just like a wealth of information and i know one person already has got a lot from this conversation so um hopefully there'll be lots more but um i think i know a few things but i i am always humbled when i talk to you so Um, let's continue to, uh, to get your wisdom out there, Verna, and we'll, we'll, uh, get together again in a week's time. Okay.
1: Yes. And, um, I look forward to that very much. Thank you.
0: Okay. Me too. We'll see you then. Happy
1: Valentine's day, everyone. Hug yourself, (laughs) hug your loved ones, maybe hug your enemies. I don't know.